At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Okay, well, if you have your Bible, please make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as you're turning there, let me pray for John and Anna, for all of you, and for the word this morning as we open it up. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Pastor John. Thank you for Anna. Thank you for their family. We are grateful for the men and women that you have put in place to serve as under shepherds, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their heart. Thank you that they point us to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is about him. It is about his name, his renown, his glory, his message, his salvation that can ultimately transform the world. So we give you praise. Father, now as we open up your word, would you give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear for our sake and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe a few of you have heard the name Charles Irwin Wilson. He was the president of GM during World War II and eventually became the Secretary of Defense under Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1953. But you probably haven't heard the name of his granddaughter, who was a psychotherapist named Jessie O'Neill. She wrote a book entitled The Golden Ghetto. It's about the psychology of affluence. That's what this real series has been about, about generosity, about God's overflow. And this morning, we're wrapping it up with this final week. And Pastor John shared with me before the last service that he really hasn't challenged you guys very much. And so he's asked me to do that for him this last month or so. <laughs> I think he was like, Steve, can you just be gracious? Because I think I've been uh, preaching the text hard. And it's, it's so good. That's what I love about his ministry and his preaching and teaching of the word. He does not mince words. He gives us the true meaning of the text. So I'm grateful for that. And so she wrote this book, and it's about the psychology of affluence. And she wrote it because of her own experience. She grew up in an environment of incredible wealth and abundance because of the success of her grandfather. And the book explores what she says is the uniquely American notion that money will guarantee happiness, bring us personal fulfillment, strengthen our relationships, give us smarter, better adjusted children, in short, make all our dreams come true. She dissects a sickness that can infect every single human soul. It is the relentless drive that is constantly whispering and sometimes even shouting, you don't have enough, you need more. You don't have enough, you need more. What you have, it is not sufficient. What you own, it is not enough, you need more. And we hear this in our minds, we hear this through our culture, we hear this even sometimes inadvertently through our friends, we certainly hear it through social media. Jesse O'Neill calls this sickness affluenza, not influenza, <laughs> affluenza. It's the disease of relentlessly pursuing affluence, of hoarding, of rampant materialism, of being driven by a deep sense of dissatisfaction, of discontentment, of insufficiency. And while some cases of affluenza are critical, most of us have at least a mild infection. And the fruit of affluenza is greed, and the fruit of greed, according to the word of God, is spiritual death. 
The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In the Canterbury Tales, Geoffrey Chaucer wrote the story of three young men who discover that one of their friends had been slain by death. So the men decided they were going to go and find death, and once they found him, they were going to kill him. On their journey, they came across an old man who told them that death could be found under an oak tree, and he points them to that tree. When they make it to the tree, they don't find death. Instead, they find three sacks of gold and unexpectedly meet greed. And all their excitement, they forget all about death. They decide to wait until nightfall so that each one would carry their share of the treasure away. While they waited, one of them goes to town to get them all something to eat and drink. And while he's getting what they needed, he decides he wants the treasure all for himself. So he buys rat poison and puts rat poison in the wine bottles of his two friends. Meanwhile, the other two men plot to stab him once he returns so they'll only have to split the gold two ways instead of three. When the man returns, the two friends follow through with their plot and stab him to death. Then they celebrate by drinking the poisoned wine and they too die. The old man told the truth. All three men found death under the oak tree. Greed and death are brothers. They are the natural outcomes of affluenza. The question is, do you have a deep contentment in the overflow, as, we, as we'll see this morning, in God's grace? Does that fill your heart and fill your soul to the point of overflow? Or at this moment, if you're honest in your conscience, if you're honest with what's going on inside of you, are you consumed by consumerism? Are you possessed by possessions? Are you maddened by materialism? Are you crazed by commercialism? The remedy to the sickness of affluenza is to understand and to express that, this is our main idea this morning, that God gives abundantly by his grace so that we might give. God gives so that we can give. And understanding this and then living out this reality is the thing that protects us in community from this sickness. So how do we become more like Jesus? Our example and our generosity and our giving How do we follow his example of self-sacrifice? Paul gives us here two reasons today. We'll pick up this passage in verse 8, and I'll read through verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first thing that we'll see is we must trust God's all-sufficiency. We must trust God's all-sufficiency. Let me begin reading there. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all-sufficiency in all things At all times, you might want to circle the word all, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let's remember the situation The Christians in Jerusalem are struggling. They are in desperate need. And Paul has sent Titus and two brothers, according to chapter 8, to take up a collection in order to help them. 
And Paul has spent the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 7, describing his expectation that the Corinthian church would follow through on their commitment to give, that they'd be ready to give, and they'd be generous in their giving. So let's continue looking at that argument. He makes an obvious appeal in these first seven verses leading up to where we are today. He makes an obvious appeal to their honor and their character to encourage them to follow through. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, honor and shame were perhaps the two highest culture-shaping values. People would do anything to gain honor and distance themselves from shame. People would would do anything to save face and to build up their reputation or the reputation of their benefactor or household or rabbi to be an influencer. They would also do everything they could to avoid shame, to avoid being looked down upon or being looked upon as less than, to sidestep anything that might cause them to give up their position, to give up their reputation. Today, maybe it's not so much about honor and shame as it is about individuality and intolerance. Uh, People chase individuality and they run from intolerance. People do just about anything to establish their own independence, to find their personal fulfillment, and to establish a unique identity that will build their brand. It's just another way, in a sense, of really gaining honor and becoming an influencer. In the culture at large as well, many in our culture will do just about anything to avoid being viewed as intolerant, as inherently bigoted or prejudiced or non-receptive of someone else's perspective or beliefs. With the intensity that we think about these things in our culture, that is the intensity, if not more, that the first century thought about honor and shame. That's why I bring up the example. So it was deeply rooted in their psyche, gain honor, avoid shame at all costs. So there are times then when Paul in his arguments appeals to honor and shame to make his point. He says, I know you're ready in verse two of chapter nine. I've built your honor up by boasting about your generosity to other people, the Macedonians. You've inspired others to do the same. All of this in verse two. I know you won't embarrass me and shame yourselves by not following through. Verse four. I know you're giving out of the movement of God in your church, not out of compulsion, verses 5 through 7. Now, here's the thing. It's natural to be influenced by honor and shame, individuality and intolerance, but our chasing after honor and individuality and avoiding shame and intolerance must be focused through the lens of God's kingdom, not through the world around us. These are not wrong things. It's only wrong when our gaze is placed in the wrong direction. And so Paul is orienting them towards the cross. And so now in verse 8, he moves away from an appeal to their honor, and he moves to an appeal based upon God's character. And he says this beautiful expression is so powerful, so good for us today. God is able to make grace abound to you. Let that soak in. God is able to make grace abound to you. Don't be deceived in thinking that what you have is ultimately because of what you've done. We know from the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights in whom there is no uh, changing or shifting or shadow. He is the same. 
Everything good comes from him. He created you. He knit you together. He built your mind. He strengthened your body. He sustained your breath. He chose you as his own. He brought you close. He helped you hear. He helped you see that you are loved and cherished and saved through the sacrifice and victory of his own son that he won for you through his sacrifice. So what good thing is yours that did not come from him? What good thing? All good things come from him. It's all from him and for him and to him. He is the giver of all good things. He is the source. And he has a purpose behind why he has entrusted you with what is ultimately his in the first place. And here's the purpose. Grace abounds to us so that grace may abound from us. Grace abounds to us so that grace might abound from us to others who need to desperately sense his grace in their lives. So Paul wants them to recognize that because of God's grace, they not only have enough, they have more than enough. He hopes they recognize that by God's grace, they have, look at the words, all sufficiency in all things at all times. And he presses the point further in verse 9. He quotes from Psalm 112, verse 9. God is the one who gives to the poor. Even if it is through our hands, all of those are under his care. I hope you can see the power of his plea. Look at verse 10. God gives the seed. The Corinthians sow what they were given. God gives the bread. The Corinthians share the bread with others. God supplies more than enough so that his righteousness would be extended through us. Generosity out of our hands through our lives is not righteousness. Until, like God, it is actually demonstrated in deed, not simply in word. When it moves beyond a thought, beyond an intention, beyond something we desire, beyond something we know we ought to do, to something that we actually then do, do, follow through. That's what he's arguing for the Corinthians. Certainly, it's the same for us today. Here's the point he's after. You will always be rich enough to be generous. You will always be rich enough to be generous. Do you believe this? I mean, really, like in our American culture, I think it's really hard to actually believe this. I think we struggle with this. Or is your mind full of perhaps doubt about God's provision, discontentment with what he has given? If you are full of doubt and discontentment, it isn't based so much on the issue of God's generosity that has come to you. It's really based on a misunderstanding of God's grace that has already been given to you. You've received his grace. If we understood the depths of that grace, the abundance of that grace, not the scarcity of it, the abundance of it, then that would flow through us in all parts of our lives. Sometimes the truth is we lose perspective. So let me just share a little bit of that perspective with you because we look around and we see the possessions of others. We see the lifestyles of others. We see the vacations and the clothes and the cars. And we watch crazy shows on HDTV like Island Hunters, people buying islands and lotto winners, and those who buy big homes after they win the lottery. And we somehow conclude that what we have is insufficient, that it's not enough. Let me remind you of the status of most of us, not all, 
But most of us, do you own a car? You're already wealthier than most. Do you have two cars in your household? You are in a very small minority. Now this morning, maybe you've been following along on your phone, and that's where you've been reading the scripture. I hope some of you haven't been doing that thing where it looks like you're following along in the scripture. You're really looking at Yelp, trying to figure out where you're going to have lunch after church this morning. But if you were to do that, I know none of you would ever do that. You're here for the Lord, not for food. Spiritual food is better than physical food, right? But if you were to do that, you would probably just, when you leave this place and go home, you'd pass by 20, 30, maybe even 40 restaurants. And then some of you, it's Mother's Day, perhaps you want to go into a restaurant. And what you're going to do is you're going to park the car that already puts us into a pretty small percentage. You're going to walk into that restaurant. There's going to be a first servant who says, can I show you to a table? Then they'll show you to a table. And then there's all the dishes and all the forks and all the cups and everything you need. You didn't need to clean it. You didn't need to put it there, but it's there for you. And then another servant comes and says, here's a menu of all the food. Order whatever you want. Whatever you want, you don't have to go find it, you don't have to kill it, you don't have to skin it, you don't have to prepare it, we'll do it all for you. Just order whatever you want. So you place an order and then that servant goes into the back and they give those orders to another group of servants and they make all your food. Then they bring all that food out and they place it before you and they say, does it look good? Is this good enough? Cut into your steak. Make sure it's just the way you want. If it's not, then I'll take it back. We'll give you more. We'll do this. We'll do that. And then you finish that up. You give them a little money. It's usually a little bit of money from our perspective. They, they, they clean up the table. They clean up the dishes. You get back in your car and then you make your way home. And then when you get home, you pull that car into what, church? You can say it a little louder. It's called a garage. You know what most of the people in the world call it? A house for your car. And so you put the car in the house for the car, and then you go into the house for the people, and usually the house for the people is so full of stuff, material possessions, that you got to take all the extra and stuff it into the house for the car. And if that's not big enough, then you get a rent space, and you put more of it in there to sit in the dark year over year. And then you walk through this house for the people, and some of you walk into your bedroom. You probably did this this morning. You walked into your bedroom, and some of you are so rich, you have a, and I'm I'm including myself now, I have one too, you have a walk-in closet, which is a room for your clothes. And this is what you did. You walked into that room for your clothes, and you're like, no, 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 no. No, 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 I have nothing to wear. It's amazing how wealthy we really are, and yet we think that there's insufficiency in our lives. How could it be? How could it be? How is it even possible that nationally Christians give approximately 2.5% of their wealth away? During the Great Depression, it was 3.3. Approximately 5% of church goers tithe to their church family. That means 95 out of 100 do not tithe. 95 out of 100, that's 10%. That's a good starting place. So we have a ton, but we think we have little. We have abundance, but we think it's insufficient. Perspective makes the difference. 
In Luke 21, remember the story, the widow gave two small copper coins. They weren't worth much, about a quarter of a penny together. But she trusted God's all-sufficiency in her life, and she gave what she could to the Lord. And we're still talking about her today. You will always be rich enough to be generous. Let's shift from the material to the spiritual and think about the example of Christ. Just a few chapters earlier, this is what Paul brings up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might be, become the righteousness, same word, of God. So spiritually, Jesus took our shame and gave us honor. He took our poverty and made us rich. He took our guilt and gave us grace. He took on the unrighteousness of our old self so we could put on the righteousness of our new self. The Father spiritually made all grace abound to us. We have all sufficiency in all things at all times through Christ. Being spiritually poor is far more dangerous and threatening than being materially poor. One is eternal, the other is temporal. Spiritual capital is infinitely more valuable than material capital. Are you rich in Christ through faith? Because there is no in-between. You have either submitted everything to him, realizing it's all from him, in order to gain everything from him through calling him as your Lord and Savior calling upon his name for the salvation of your soul, submitting your life to him in faith, receiving him as savior, as rescuer, as redeemer. Or you have not submitted everything to him in order to hang on to some of this world and some of your self-righteousness. It will not satisfy. That is not sufficient. Those material possessions, they are not sufficient for the forgiveness of sins or the joy of your life. Neither is your self-righteousness. It always is lacking. So Paul is not motivating them here to give so that they will get more. He's motivating them out of the richness of their spiritual blessings in Christ so that they might then give to those in need. Now, the type of teaching here that some might twist these words to say, hey, he's, he's asking them to give and he's promising they'll just get more. And they twist the words of Paul to, to, to communicate this thing that we'll call the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. That's not what's going on here. Paul is hopeful they will receive more, but his purpose is to motivate them to give because they already have all that they need. What has been given is sufficient, is his point. So if your basic needs are not met, and I think this is important to say to our church family here, if your basic needs are not met, the church family is responsible to help you. Now, if they're not met because of your own poor choices and indebtedness, sometimes that's the consequence. But if it is out of basic need, the church, we are meant to care for one another. And if they are met, If your needs are met, then realize and even communicate, even now in your heart, say to God, it is enough, Father. It is enough. I have enough. Thank you for your grace. And then praise God for his sufficiency. We spent the majority of our time on that point. We'll be brief here with the second. How do we become more like Christ in our giving? By trusting the Father's sufficiency 
And secondly, by pursuing the deeper fruit of giving, pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Look at verse 11 through 15. He goes on to say, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's the result. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, that's material things, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Deeper fruit. By their appeal of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. When we demonstrate the righteousness of God by passing on the abundance God has given to us, What Paul is saying here is the big C church, the universal church, God's people far beyond our own local church will pour out praise and thanksgiving to God as a response. And this praise brings God glory. I love how the Westminster Confession says it. I believe it's true and right to say that the chief end of a human being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And our sacrificial generosity for the sake of others in our church, in our communities, and in churches around the world is part of what it means to fulfill that very purpose. So the Corinthian gift was meant to do more than just provide materially. They had desperate need, but it did much more than that. It supplied food, but it also multiplied praise. Giving out of their material overflow produced spiritual overflow. And the spiritual overflow is the greater prize. Through this gift, the Jerusalem church knew, think about it, they're in desperate need. Now they know God hasn't forsaken them. Through this gift, they know God is meeting their needs. Through this gift, they know that these brothers and sisters who are in a different part of the world than them are caring for them and loving them. It demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that from Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it demonstrated here love, and it brought joy to the ones who received it. It also brought love and joy to the ones who gave to the Holy Spirit of God they were obeying, to the Son they were following, and to the Father that they were glorifying. This giving demonstrated their faithfulness to Christ as they followed his example of sacrifice. And there's another fruit here. This church in Corinth was considered a Gentile church. The church in Jerusalem was mostly made up of Jewish believers. And so it demonstrated this new covenant that brings every Christian person into the same spiritual family, this sense of peace that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we have more in common with one another in Christ than any niche or network to which we belong. We have more responsibility to one another than any other group to which we belong. We are forever connected and out of that love and that demonstration of spiritual fruit to one another, the world looks at us and says, that's different. That's different. That's unique. I need that. I want that. I don't have that. And their insufficiency will lead them to their sufficiency in Christ through our community. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does. 
We will grow in our affection for the church through our generosity to this local church and through this local church to other churches. So Paul closes with this praise, and it has multiple meanings. Of course, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And yet it's not just monetary here, not at all. This is the gift of the gospel. This is the gift of Jesus. And those who had much and were giving it knew him. And those who received and had little knew him. And even though they were separated by languages and continents and seas, the sufficiency of Christ bound them together. This reminded me as I prepared of a story uh, that happened 17 years ago now, uh, 16 years ago or so. It was December 26th of 2004, the third largest earthquake ever recorded created a tsunami that, with waves reaching over 100 feet high by the time they hit shore. The disaster flooded massive stretches, if you remember the story, of the Indian and Indonesian coast, along with many other countries, and killed in that first few days almost a quarter million people. I mean, just gone from this tsunami and its proximity to these coastlands. It's called the Boxing Day Tsunami. A few months later, I led a very small team, there was only six or seven of us from Woodside to go to our partner in India, his name, was Mono, his name is Mono Daniel, and try to bless him and the churches he's associated with within the fishing villages where this tsunami was so devastating. And what it was, I actually didn't contribute to the offering. It's very similar to the text that we just read today. I didn't actually contribute, it was contributed through our college ministry. And our college students, that's the time in life where you are. You are poor. You're dirt poor. You're just racking up debt. I mean, just debt. Just throw it on debt, 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 debt. And it's just lots of debt. They, they still came together, and they put together a $10,000 offering. And the goal of the trip was to take the $10,000 offering, present that to Mono and his team, and say, this is our church to bless your churches and those who are in desperate need. And we used some of the funds to uh, purchase food and supplies for some of those villages. And when I think about that today, $10,000 from a bunch of poor college students, that represents 0.05% of our revenue as a church. It's not even one-tenth, really, of 1% of our overall budget. But for the churches connected to Mono Daniel in India... It was accepted as such a generous gift that one of the villages actually put on a festival just for us. We show up in this village. It was, it was crazy. I mean, we were playing with kids during the day, and, and they were so excited about being brought this provision. It was potatoes. It was rice. It was onions. It was basic elements of food. We brought this. We dropped it off to them. We went there to encourage the churches. They put on a whole festival. It went on for hours. I'm not joking. Two or three hours long, they put on this festival. And at the end of it, it was like one of the most embarrassing moments of my leadership life. Mono stands up in front of the whole village after they had song and dance and costumes and all this stuff and all these colors and all this array. And Mono comes up and says, now the team from the United States who brought this gift to us, they will sing a song for you. <laughs> it was like the worst song ever. But here was the thing. These churches in India were praising God, were glorifying God, were multiplying the renown of Jesus Christ 
because of a simple gift of some college students from America. The Big C Church multiplies its praise as we give faithfully, as we give generously. You will always be rich enough to be generous. God has given to you. He has given to us so that we might give. Releasing material fruit in order to gain spiritual fruit means we've chosen the far greater prize. May God grant us ears to hear and eyes to see for his glory. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, I first want to pray for any who are here, who are watching online this morning, and they have realized through your Holy Spirit's direction in their heart that they are spiritually insufficient that they are spiritually empty, that they are spiritually dead, that all of that pursuit of good works of their own accord, all of that pursuit of self-righteousness and self-sufficiency has not resulted in the joy, fulfillment, and peace that only you can bring. Father, perhaps they've been deeply impacted by the sickness of affluenza, and they realize that material things in this world will not satisfy. In these moments, Father, as they've heard the truth of Jesus, would they respond to you in faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. I confess to you that who I am is far from your standard of holiness. It's far from your standard of righteousness. I could never measure up And yet because of your gracious gift that you made abound to us in Jesus Christ, an inexpressible gift, we can find salvation and eternal life. So be my Lord, control my life, be my savior, rescue me from my sin. Make my life new in you. And for all those who prayed that prayer in faith, Father, I pray that you'll bring them into this community and help them grow. Help them be sanctified in their walk with Jesus. Father, for all of us who are in Christ, forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for the times we fall into this temptation, Father, and help us to stand and realize that when we give, it does far more than simply offer something out of our wallets or out of a bank account to a local church, Father. It's much more far-reaching. It can fill us with love and joy and peace. It can multiply praise literally around the world, all for your name and for your glory. That's really what it's about. So move our hearts, Father, to be generous people in all that we say and do. Thank you for your sufficiency. Thank you for your goodness. All we need is Christ. We're so grateful for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.